Hey, hey, this is Gene. Welcome back to Dumbasses Talking Politics, a Sunday edition. So, a few weeks ago, I actually read the first chapter of Animal Farm. And I started reading this book again. I, I, this is actually going to be the third time I've read it because it's so short. And it's just, it's so good. And I realized there is just so much packed into this book that made George Orwell really ahead of his time. And so I decided, okay, you know what we're going to do? Let's read the book and let's go over it as we, as we read. So we already went through chapter one and chapter one, Please remember, chapter one was about Major, who was the pig, the oldest pig in the farm. And Major gave a speech, basically uh, pro-totalitarian communism, socialism, Marxism speech. That's what he gave. That was, the, that was the whole chapter. And if you don't remember it, go back to a previous podcast. Uh, it, I'll, I can't remember what number it is, but... I'll look it up a little later and tell you about tell you to go back and listen to that podcast. And what we're going to do is we're going to go through each chapter. Every Sunday, we're going to go one chapter, maybe half a chapter, depending on how long it is. And we're going to talk about what is actually happening in uh, Animal Farm and how it relates to today. So I thought this would be kind of clever, and it's kind of nice on a Sunday. And then I get to practice my reading aloud, which is how I learned how to read in the first place. So, let's start it off with Chapter 2. Three nights later, old Major died peacefully in his sleep. His body was buried at the foot of the orchard. This was early in March. During the next three months, there was much secret activity. Major's speech had given to the more intelligent animals on the farm a completely new outlook on life. They did not know when the rebellion predicted by Major would take place. They had no reason for thinking that it would be within their own lifetime, but they saw clearly that it was their duty to prepare for it. The work of teaching and organizing the uh, others fell naturally upon the pigs, who were generally recognized to be the cleverest of animals. Preeminent... Okay, that's important. Uh, again, organizing teaching, this is the indoctrination that you see in our schools. This is the indoctrination that you see in our entertainment industry. This is the indoctrination that you see in our news, in our media, all media, art. This is what they mean by preparing. Because the rebellion, who knows when the rebellion is going to happen. It could happen tomorrow. It could happen 25 years from now. But this is exactly what happened. Now that is a Marxist philosophy. It's Lenin actually changed that. Lenin didn't. Marx used to think that capitalism would destroy itself and then socialism would become, would just come around. Lenin was different. Lenin decided to force the matter. So Leninism and Marxism, two totally different things. One says that capitalism would fall into. Um, uh, Leninism or uh, Marxism said that capitalism would fall into socialism. Leninism said, "Well, we're going to force the matter and force socialism." Okay, either way, they're both totalitarian. So that was one of the reasons why Marxism really has never taken hold naturally, because that's where Marx was wrong. Marx believed the United States, for example, would become 
a Marxist, a socialist country. And of course, no, that was never going to happen. So here we go. Preeminent among the pigs were two young boars named Snowball and Napoleon, who Mr. Jones was breeding up for sale. Napoleon was a large, rather fierce-looking Berkshire boar, the only Berkshire on the farm, not much of a talker, but with a reputation of getting his own way. Snowball, Snowball was a more vivacious pig than Napoleon, quicker in speech and more inventive, but was not considered to have the same depth of character. All the other male pigs on the farm were porkers. Now, remember this? Snowball is the, or I'm sorry, Snowball is the muscle, and Napoleon is the, um, is the propagandist. That's essentially what this whole thing is about. So you've got the one, you've got Snowball, which is kind of quiet, but he always gets his way. Doesn't say much, doesn't have to say much. And you got Snowball, who's going to start selling these people very quick at speech, things like that. You'll see, you'll, you'll see this. The, all the other pigs, they're just party members, that's all. The best known among them was a small fat pig, pig named Squealer, with very round cheeks, twinkling eyes, nimble movements, and a shrill voice. He was a brilliant talker, and when he was arguing some difficult point, he had a way of skipping from side to side and whisking his tail, which somehow was very persuasive. The other said of Squealer that he could turn black into white. Okay, I take it back. Snowball is not the, uh, is not, it's actually Squealer that is the propagandist. Because he's there just to convince. These three had elaborated Old Major's teaching into a complete system of thought, to which they gave the name Animalism. Several nights a week after Mr. Joes was asleep, they held secret meetings in the barn and expounded the principles of animalism to the others. At the beginning, they met with much stupidity and apathy. Some of the animals talked of the duty of loyalty to Mr. Jones, whom they referred to as master, or made elementary remarks, such as, Mr. Jones feeds us, if he were gone, we would starve to death. Others asked such questions as, why should we care what happens after we are dead? Or, if the rebellion is to happen anyway, what difference does it make whether we work for it or not? And the pigs had great difficulty in making them see that this was contrary to the spirit of animalism. The stupidest question of questions of all were asked by Molly, the white mare. The first, very first question she asked Snowball was, will there be sugar after the rebellion? Okay, so what is animalism? Animalism could be considered Marxism. It also could be considered atheism, and that's, I think, where this one goes. Atheism is the belief that there is no higher power, that there is no God, that there's nowhere to go. Animalism is pushing the same things. It's actually sitting back and saying, okay, there is nothing beyond. We must start and fight to survive. This is what pushes communism and Marxism. This is why people begin to embrace the government as the religion. And this is what the pigs are already trying to do. Now, the question that uh, Molly, the white mare, asked, whether there'll be sugar or not, this is also something that's kind of important if you look at it. 
So let's listen to the answer that Snowball gives. No, said Snowball firmly. We have no means of making sugar on this farm. Besides, you do not need sugar. You will have all the oats and hay you want. And shall I still be able to wear my ribbons in my mane? asked Molly. Comrade, said Snowball, those ribbons that you are so devoted to are a badge of slavery. Can you not understand that liberty is worth more than ribbons? Now, does this sound familiar? No luxuries. This is the Green New Deal. No cars, no planes. We can have a train. I mean, Barack Obama once said that, you know, we need to reconsider our thoughts of being able to travel all the time because of climate, which is another religious point of the left these days. But this is the kicker with socialism. Be prepared. You will lose. You're not going to get everything you want, but you're going to get everything you need. The problem is everything we need is kind of an individual thing. Well, what if I need sugar? What if I need ribbons? Or I feel the need for ribbons? It's a loss of freedom. You are being told what you need. It's a very interesting concept, and this book just nails it throughout. Let's continue. Molly agreed, but she did not sound very convinced. The pigs had even harder struggle to counteract the lies about Moses, the tame raven. Moses who was Mr. Jones' especial pet, was a spy and a tale-bearer, but he was also a clever talker. He claimed to know of the existence of a mysterious mountain country called Sugar Cane Candy Mountain, to which all animals went when they died. If they situated, situated somewhere up in the sky, it was situated somewhere up in the sky, a little distance beyond the clouds, Moses said. In Sugar Cane Mountain, it was Sunday, seven days a week. Clover was in season all year round, and a lump of and lump sugar and linseed cake grew on the hedges. The animals hated Moses because he told tales and did not work. But some of them believed in Sugar Candy Mountain, and the pigs had to argue very hard to persuade them that there was no such place. There you go. There is your destruction of religion, their uh, animal's concept of heaven, and the pigs had to absolutely destroy that. They're, continuing, their most faithful disciples were the two cart horses, Boxer and Clover. These two had great difficulty in thinking anything out for themselves, but having once accepted the pigs as their teachers, they absorbed everything that they were told, and passed it on to the other animals by simple arguments. They were unfailing in their attendance at the secret meetings in the barn, and led the singing of the beasts of England, which, with which the meetings had always ended. Now, the, these guys are going to be important. This is kind of the pig's way of control. These are the strongest of the animals. Uh, they're not very bright. They listen and they just basically spit out everything that uh, uh, the pigs are saying. This, These guys can be seen as Antifa for the left today or the NKVD in the Soviet Union or, or the brown shirts in uh, Nazi Germany or the black shirts in Mussolini's uh, world. 
These are the enforcers. Let's continue. Now, as it turned out, the rebellion was achieved much earlier than and more easily than anyone had expected. In past years, Mr. Jones, although a hard master, had been a capable farmer, but of late he had fallen on evil days. He had become much disheartened after losing money in a lawsuit and had taken to drinking more than was good for him. For whole days at a time, he would lounge in the Windsor chair uh, in the kitchen, reading the newspaper, drinking, and occasionally feeding Moses on crusts of bread soaked in beer. His men were idle and dishonest. The fields were full of weeds, and buildings wanted roofing. The hedges were neglected, and the animals were underfed. Okay, this is corruption. All right, it's governmental corruption. So when you look at the Soviet Union, they used to scream a lot about how the czars were actually corrupted. And that was one of the reasons the country needed to, that's one of the reasons that Lenin determined to move the company into socialism or communism. The problem with this is corruption does not necessarily mean evil. So when we look at, if you've ever read the Gulag Archipelago by Shinitskin, he actually talks a lot about how the czars were corrupt, but they were nothing compared to what the, the Soviets were, Lenin and, and again, Stalin, and even under Khrushchev, who was actually rather more moderate, it was still really, really bad. So this is a, a really important uh, paragraph in this chapter. June came and the hay was almost ready for cutting. On midnight summer's eve, on midsummer's eve, which was Saturday, Mr. Jones went to the Willing Willington to get and got so drunk at the Red Lion that he did not come back till midday on Sunday. The men had milked the cows in the early morning and then gone out rabbiting without bothering to feed the animals. When Mr. Jones got back, he immediately went to sleep on the drawing-room sofa with the news of the world over his face, so that when evening came, the animals were still underfed. At last, they could stand it no longer. One of the cows broke the door of the shed, store shed with her horn, and all the animals began to help themselves from their bins. It was just then that Mr. Jones woke up. The next moment, he was... He and his four men were in the store shed with whips in their hands, lashing out in all directions. This was more than a hungry animals could bear. With one accord, though nothing of the kind had been planned beforehand, they flung themselves upon their tormentors. Jones and his men suddenly found themselves being butted and kicked from all sides. The situation was quite out of their control. They had never seen animals behave like this before, and this sudden uprising of creatures whom they were used by to thrashing and maltreating just as they chose frightened them almost out of their wits. After only a moment or two, they gave up trying to defend themselves and took to their heels. A minute later, all five of them were in full flight down the cart track that led to the main road, with the animals pursuing them in triumph. Okay, this is, again, it's anecdotal, but it is comparable to what seems to be happening today. So people see the police as corrupt. They see Trump as corrupt. 
And so they see they are uprising right now. This is an example. I think the big difference is that we're not really, a lot of people don't, aren't going to tolerate it. So it's going to be a little bit different. And our government just isn't that corrupt. I mean, it's bad, but it's not that bad. That's why in this country, let's let's face it, we're, we never, this was, this problem we're having today was started out in the 60s. We, we have been going through this garbage, this Antifa garbage, since the 60s. And it actually happened according to what Major and the pigs initially thought was going to happen. It was going to be a long time, and the uprising would only occur after everyone was indoctrinated into it. Of course, you had this sudden... This sudden... Um, uh, sudden... Uh, abuse that occurred, and then they had quick revolution. Now, I said it's anecdotal because they didn't want to wait. Obviously, you had to get to the tyranny portion of the book, and you can't necessarily wait 10, 15 years for it to happen. So they just had the re he just set up the revolution right away. Mrs. Jones looked out the bedroom window, saw what was happening, hurriedly flung a few possessions into a carpet bag, and slipped out of the farm by another way. Moses sprang off his perch and flapped after her, croaking loudly. Meanwhile, the animals had chased Jones and his men out on the road and slammed the five-barred gate behind them. And so, almost before he knew what was happening, the rebellion had been successfully carried through. Jones was expelled. The manor farm was theirs. For the first few minutes, the animals could hardly believe in their good fortune. Their first act was to gallop in the body right around the boundaries of the farm, as though they to make quite sure that no human being was hiding anywhere upon it. When they raced back to the farm buildings to wipe out the last traces of Jones' hated reign, I'm sorry, uh, farm buildings wipe, okay. The harness room at the end of the stables was broken open. The bits, the nose rings, the dog chains, the cruel knives with which Mr. Jones had used to castrate the pigs and the lambs were all flung down as the well. The reins, the halters, the blinkers, the degrading nose bags were thrown into a rubbish fire during what uh, fire which was burning in the yard. So were the whips. All the animals capered with joy when they saw the whips going up in flames. Snowball threw on the fire the ribbons with which the horse's manes and tails had usually been decorated on market days. Ribbons, he said, should all be considered as clothes, which are the mark of a human being. All animals should go naked. This is kind of an important line. Because what happens is, if, you're, if there are a few that are uncertain, force certainty upon them. Take away that certainty not sure? Well, now it's not there anymore. Get over it. When Boxer heard this, he fetched the small straw hat which he wore in summer to keep the flies out of his ears and flung it on the fire with the rest. This is something that is really interesting. It's a rejection of technology is essentially what it is. This was a good thing. That hat was a good thing. It was there to keep him out of the sun and keep the flies, but you reject it because that was part of the old technology. Look at look at all the idiots that that chop Chaz thing. 
what did they do? We don't need any, we don't need anything. We we'll, we'll grow our own crops and crap. Except they couldn't, and they ended up ordering pizza. So it never worked out. But that's what that is. If it's from the West, get rid of it. In a very little while, the animals had destroyed everything that reminded them of Mr. Jones. Napoleon had then led them back to the store shed and served out a double ration of corn to everybody, with two biscuits for each dog. Then they sang Beasts of England from end to end, seven times running. And after that, they settled down for the night and slept as they have never slept before. This is one thing that we have seen in Venezuela. Um, not so much in a lot of the other socialist countries, but Venezuela for the first five years was actually doing pretty good. The problem is they did pretty good because they stole money from the capitalists that were in Venezuela, including American companies. Eventually, the American companies left, the capitalists left, the ones with the money, they all left, and then things begin to fall apart. So right after the revolution, yeah, things are going to be good, but it won't last. Let's keep going. But they woke at dawn as usual, and suddenly remembering the glorious thing that had happened, they all raced out into the pasture together. A little way down the pasture, there was a knoll that commanded a view of most of the farm. The animals rushed to the top of it and gazed around them in the clear morning light. Yes, it was theirs. Everything that they could see was theirs. In ecstasy of that, they thought of they gambled around and around. They hurled themselves into the air with great leaps of excitement. They rolled in the dew. They cropped the mouthfuls of sweet summer grass. They kicked up clods of black earth and snuffed its rich scent. Then they made a tour of, of, the, of inspection of the whole farm and surveyed with speechless admiration the plowland, the hayfield, the orchard, the pool, the spinney. It was as though they had never seen these things before, and even now they could hardly believe it was their own. But here comes the big question, especially after a revolution. Then they filed back to the farm buildings and halted in silence outside the door of the farmhouse. That was theirs too, but they were frightened to go inside. After a moment, however, Snowball and Napoleon butted the door open and their shoulders, uh, with their shoulders, and the animals entered in single file walking with uttermost care for fear of disturbing anything. They tiptoed from room to room, afraid to speak above a whisper and gazing with the kind of awe at the unbelievable luxury, at the beds with the feather mattresses, the looking glasses, the horsehair sofa, the Brussels carpet, the lithograph of Queen Victoria over the drawing room master mantelpiece. Don't forget, this is England. They were just coming down the stairs when Molly was discovered to be missing. Going back, the others found that she had remained behind in the bedroom. She had taken a piece of blue ribbon from Mrs. Jones's, uh, Mrs. Jones's dressing table and was holding it against her shoulder and admiring herself in the glass in a very foolish manner. The others reproached her sharply, and they went outside. Some hams hanging in the kitchen were taken out for burial and the barrel of beer in the scullery was stove in with a kick from Boxer's hoof. Otherwise, nothing in the house was touched. A unanimous resolution was passed on the spot that the farmhouse should be preserved in the muse as a museum. All were greeted that no animal must ever live there. 
The animals had their breakfast. Then Snowball and Napoleon called them together. Comrades, said Snowball, it is half past six and we have a long day before us. Today we begin the hay harvest, but there is another matter that must be attended to first. The pigs now revealed that during the past three months they have taught themselves to read and write from an old spelling book which had belonged to Mr. Jones's children and which had been thrown into a rubbish heap. Napoleon sent for pots of black and white paint and led the way down the five-barred gate that gave on to the main road. Then Snowball, for it was Snowball who was the best at writing, took a brush between the two knuckles of his trotter and painted out Manor Farm from the top bar of the gate and in its place painted Animal Farm. This was to be the name of the farm from now onwards. After they had went down, after they went back to the farm buildings, where Snowball and Napoleon sent for a ladder, which they caused to be set against the wall, uh, against the end wall of the big barn, they explained that they, by their studies of the past three months, the pigs had succeeded in reducing the principles of animalism to seven commandments. These seven commandments would be inscribed. Uh, would be inscribed on the wall. They would be form. They would form an unalterable law by which all animals on Animal Farm must live for ever after. With some difficulty, for it was not easy for a pig to balance himself on a ladder, Snowball climbed up and set the work. And Squealer, a few rungs below him, holding the paint pot, the commandments were written on a tarred wall in the great white letters that would be read 30 yards away they ran like thus the seven commandments one whatever goes upon two legs is an enemy two whatever goes upon four legs or has wings is a friend three no animal shall wear clothes four no animal shall sleep in a bed five no animal shall drink alcohol six no animal shall kill any other animal seven all animals are equal. Now, something to remember with these these commandments. They're unalterable. That's what they say. There's no such thing as unalterable. There's always ways to alter them. And especially when the elites, those that are in power, want to change what they want. So remember that. This is of course they're gonna be they're gonna be altered. There's no question that's the point of the book. And let's take a look in a second. We're going to see, uh, we're going to see that they alter it almost immediately. The other thing about this is everything is an extreme. It's a black and white. Whatever goes upon two legs is an enemy. Well, okay, that means whatever. If it's on two legs, it's an enemy. It goes to extremes. Whatever goes on four legs, a wings is a friend. That. Again, an extreme. So it's always going to extreme. And finally, what does the seven commandments mimic? It mimics the ten commandments. Because what the pigs need to do in order to take control is make the government, make the rules of the government of Animal Farm into the religion that all the animals are going to are going to accept. It is, let's continue, it was very neatly written, and except for the that friend was written friend, and one of the S's was wrong way 
was wrong way round, the spelling was correct all the way through. Snowball read it aloud for the benefit of the others. All the animals nodded in complete agreement, and the clever, cleverer ones at once began to learn the commandments by heart. Now, comrades, cried Snowball, throwing down the paintbrush, to the hayfield, let us make a point, make it a point of honor to get the harvest more quickly than Jones and his men could do. But at this moment, the three cows, who had been uneasy for some time past, set up a loud low moaning. They had not been milked in twenty-four hours, and their udders were almost bursting. After a little thought, the pigs sent for buckets and milked the cows fairly successfully, their trotters being well adapted to the task. Soon there were five buckets of frothy, creaming milk, at which many of the animals looked with considerable interest. What is going to happen to the milk, said someone. Jones used sometimes to mix some of it in our mash, said one of the hens. Never mind the milk, comrades, cried Napoleon, placing himself in front of the buckets. That will be attended to. The way the harvest is more important. Comrade Snowball will lead the way, and I shall follow in a few minutes. Forward, comrades, the hay is waiting. So the animals trooped down the hayfield and began the harvest, and when they came back in the evening, they noticed that the milk had disappeared. Here's the thing, corruption. There's always corruption. And the pigs are corrupt, and they're going to be corrupt. They're smarter, they're elite, they're smarter than the rest of the animals. They know it, and they're going to profit by it. So that was the second chapter. It's kind of a little longer chapter, but uh, it, it's, a, it's a good chapter. And you can see there's a lot in this book that has it, 96 pages, 96 pages. Anyone can read this. There's a lot in this book that you could look today and say, yeah, that's what it is. This book was written in 1946, 1946. So it wasn't, it wasn't even that ahead of their time because at the time Orwell couldn't stand the Soviet Union. They thought Orwell, they thought the Soviet Union was a terrible place. This book was actually banned in England at first because they, the, uh, the British and the Soviets had a very unstable relationship, so they didn't want to set off the Soviet Union by releasing books like this. But it is fantastic, and we're going to see how things grow with the animals in the animal farm. So it was fun. I hope my reading wasn't too terrible. Um, unfortunately, I'm doing this in the morning, so I'm a little off. But um, I hope you enjoyed it. You can follow me on Twitter at RunninFool, R-U-N-N-I-N-F-E-W-L. You can download or listen to this podcast on po Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Podcast Addict, and YouTube. Uh, you can visit my website at www.dumbassestalkingpolitics.com to take a look at uh, all the show notes, though there weren't any show notes for this one. This is Gene, and you've listened to Dumbasses Talking Politics. Thank you.